Uh, we've been studying the book of Judges of this fall, and Judges in a nutshell is this. God's rebellious people and God's, uh, yeah, God's rebellious people and God's relentless grace towards those people. Say it another way, uh, Judges shows us to, and tells us to cheer up. We're a lot worse than we think. But at the very same time, it comes with a message that God is better than we think. That we're in covenant with Him. That He's committed to us. That He loves us and He's more patient and gentle and kind than we could possibly imagine. And that's exactly what we see once again in this passage with Gideon in Judges chapter 6. We see Gideon weak and full of fear. And we see God patient and kind and willing to enter in with Gideon and not push him away. And so with that in mind, follow along with me as I read our passage this morning. This is God's Word. Judges 6, I'll read 11 through 24, then we'll skip over to verse 36. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out his wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, And save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I found favor in your eyes, and then show show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. And so Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in the basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought it to them and brought it to them to him under the terebinth And presented to them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the fire sprang up from the rocks and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. Verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, 
and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did this that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to help us through His Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would come through your spirit now. Uh, you tell us that your word is living and active, that it's useful and, uh, for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in all righteousness. And so we pray that you would do all those things with this passage in our hearts this morning. Uh, make our hearts fertile soil so that we hear the word and it goes deep into our soul and into our heart so that we might live differently. Encourage us with how good you are this morning and your kindness to us in the midst of our weak and frail faith. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you afraid of this morning? What is the thing that causes you crippling fear? What is the fear that paralyzes you this morning? In 2002, there was a young man by the name of David, and he suffered from severe OCD, from severe obsessive compulsive disorder. And his fear of germs and contaminating others got so great that he eventually dropped out of college, drove to his parents' house, went into their bathroom, and locked himself there for two years because he feared germs and feared that he would contaminate other people. His parents would take a tray of food, smash it down, and slide it underneath the door so that he could eat. He engaged in exhausting rituals, taking showers for sometimes up to 12 hours, and constantly, sometimes seven times a day, completely disinfecting the entire bathroom. See, his fear utterly paralyzed him. I don't know what your fear is this morning. Maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe it is. But we all have fears, and some of those fears make us slaves and paralyze us, don't they? Some of you have crippling fears of what other people think about you, and it causes tremendous anxiety and even keeps you up at night. Some of you fear failure so that you're not able to try new things and put yourself out there because you're so afraid of failing, that it's caused you not to live life to the fullest. Some of you fear being left alone, being left by yourself without entertainment, being needy, being a bother to other people, or maybe you fear really being known all the way to the bottom. Or maybe you fear something like dying. This morning we all have fears, don't we? And we're going to look at a story about a man named Gideon. And this man named Gideon is not a hero, by the way. He's a person. You know, we think these people in the Bible sometimes are different than us. No, he's just like you and I. He struggled with fear. He had real fears too. 
And I want us to see, I mean, we might not be hiding under a, in a cave, tending the wheat crop, hiding in the fetal position from our enemies, but we have real fears and we can identify in some way this morning with the emotions and feelings of Gideon. And in these moments, when you have these fears, our faith seems weak, we seem frail, and we're filled with doubt, what comes really pressing in on us in that moment is what is God like? How will God treat me and handle me in the midst of my failure, in the midst of my unbelief, and in the midst of my weakness and fear? That's what we're going to see in this passage this morning. We're going to look at Gideon, and we're going to see what God is like. We're going to see how God treats people like us that have lots of fears and are often filled with weakness and unbelief. Three things this morning. We're going to look at how God treats Gideon and us in the midst of Gideon's weakness, or I'm sorry, Gideon's fear, number one, Gideon's weakness, number two, and his unbelief. So, fear, weakness, and unbelief. Let's look at number one. Gideon's fear. And so the story begins, just like all the other stories, I feel like a broken record. Uh, That's the way Judges works. We're right back into the cycle. The Israelites had a time of peace, but then they uh, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember, evil is not the most heinous thing that you can possibly think of. That's definitely evil, but evil in the book of Judges has to do with worshiping idols. That's what God says is evil. They had accommodated themselves to the culture, and so God gave them over to the culture around them. And in this case, he gave them over to the Midianites. And what's interesting here is the Midianites were different than some of the other oppressors that we've seen up until this point in the book of Judges. Uh, They don't really want to take over the land necessarily and gain military victory. The Israelites, what they were doing was swooping in and taking the crops and stealing their food and produce. And so we find the Israelites hiding in caves and in mountain in the mountains because they're so afraid. They're starving because the Midianites are taking their food. And that is exactly where the story begins and we find this person, this man named Gideon. And look at the first image that we get of Gideon in verses 11 through 13. The very first picture... He's hiding fetal position in a cave because he's scared of the Midianites. And I love the fact, keep reading in those verses, I love the fact that Gideon has the courage to ask the question that you and I often don't have the courage to ask, at least out loud. We might ask it inside our hearts. But the question, please, sir, the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? See, Gideon is having trouble. He's struggling to reconcile the circumstances that he sees around him and that he finds himself in with the character of God. If you're good and so good to us and have taken your people out of Egypt, then why are we being attacked? If you're so good, then why are we so miserable? You're supposed to be taking care of your people and it doesn't feel, and notice the word feel, it doesn't feel like you're taking care of us in the moment. 
See, the Bible says one thing, but our circumstances in our life often tell us something different, don't we? Don't they? You ever felt that way? We felt that way yesterday, didn't we, at Nathaniel Bush's funeral, sitting in this room. God, if you're so good, how can a baby be born that only lives for an hour? And God doesn't give us the answers. We have no idea why. Yes, I know we live in a broken, fallen world and sin has impacted everything, but in our finite minds, we cannot fully comprehend why things like that happen. And Gideon is confused as well like we are. And God comes and says, you are to look at your circumstances through the lens of my word. And you are to look at your circumstances through the Bible, even when your circumstances tell you something different. Remember that I am good, and I am wise, and I am holy, and that I am working out my purposes in the world. Even when we don't understand. I shared this yesterday at the funeral. I ran across this in my preparation. But there was a pastor who was visiting a lady in his congregation. And when he walked into the house, there was this stone that was kind of set into the floor. And it had this phrase, the moon is round. And the pastor obviously was confused by what this meant. And so he asked this woman, you know, what's, what's the deal with the stone and this phrase? And she recounted this story about when she was a teenager, she had a, one of her friends die at the age of 14 from cancer. And in the last two years of this girl's life and her struggle with cancer, she kept this notebook that was full of Bible verses, and she used that notebook to comfort her in her grief and in her pain. And the girl passed away, and her family and her friends began looking through the notebook, and in the middle of the notebook, they found this note card that said, the moon is round. Didn't have anything else written on it, just simply that cryptic statement. And they had no idea what it meant, but as they looked at the surrounding verses, it soon became clear what that statement meant. And it meant that when it's dark and you can only see a sliver of the moon, what do you know? You know that though you cannot see it, the moon is round. See, this teenage girl, though she could not see, that she could not understand, just like the bushes could not understand, And we can't understand as a church body. We cannot see enough into God's sovereign will and plan to understand everything that is happening. But yet, we still know that God is good and gracious. The moon is round. You know, it's interesting. If you look at the passage, Gideon asked the question, and God doesn't answer his question. God says and replies just like he replies all the way through the Bible. Look at verses 12 and 16 with me. In the midst of Gideon's fear and question, he doesn't answer his question. What does he say? I will be with you. All you need to know is I will be with you. God gives him his personal promise and that makes all the difference. God tells Gideon, he gives him a personal pledge. Ralph Dell Davis, a commentator, says this. 
Basically, God has nothing else. Nothing more to offer you. And you can go through a lot with that promise. It's not, uh, it, it does not answer your questions about the details, of course. But it provides only the essential. Nothing about when or where or why. Only about what or better the who. I will be with you. And that is enough. Some of you are in the middle of very difficult things. Our church, in some ways, is in the middle of very difficult things. Some of you, maybe it's more personal, maybe it's a marriage problem that you're struggling with, or something at work, or something with one of your children, and you are hurting, and you are suffering. And in the midst of those things, like Gideon, we find ourselves asking, if you're so good, why is this happening? In the midst of our suffering and pain in the times that we don't understand, we are comforted not merely that the moon is round even when we can only see a sliver. Our comfort is in the fact that God is with us. The comfort is in the fact that we are not alone. The comfort as Christians is not that God is going to calm all the storms. It's not what Christianity teaches The comfort for the Christian is that God is with you in the midst of those storms. In the midst of that suffering. Yesterday at the funeral for Nathaniel Bush, I said to Patrick and Elizabeth that God knows how to love you. Because God knows what it's like to lose a child. He knows what it's like to lose a son. Because 2,000 years ago, he lost his. You see, God is uh, is an amazing God. He took on flesh. He came down into the world. And as I like to say, Eugene Peterson points out, he moved into our neighborhood. And you know what that means? That means he understands it all. That means that he gets you. That means that he gets your pain and that he knows how to love you in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through and whatever you brought into this room this, at this moment this morning. And that's really good news. Gideon had real fears. We have real fears. We have real concerns and struggles and things we don't understand. And notice God doesn't shame Gideon. Did you notice that? He entered in and actually met him in the midst of those things. Secondly, Gideon's weakness. And let's look at how God responds. Look at verse 14. The Lord God comes to Gideon. Think about this. Gideon, fetal position, hiding in a cave. (laughs) And God comes to Gideon and says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And immediately the pushback starts. You don't know who I am. I'm a nobody from a clan of nobodies. I'm weak. And that is probably a true assessment of Gideon. He probably very well was the weakest. But what I want you to see is his self-assessment was not made in faith. His self-assessment was made out of fear. And we're pretty good at that too, aren't we? God calls us to do something. See, I think a lot of times we have doubts and fears about God, of course, but I think a lot of our doubts come from um, thinking about who we are and what we've done. 
I think that's our main hang-up when it comes to following God oftentimes. God calls us to do something, and we say, God, you, there's no way you can want me. There's no way, I'm from the wrong family. Or, here's what I see a lot, I've seen this uh, throughout my time in ministry, and me included in this, by the way. We're really good at beating ourselves up, aren't we? Christians are really good. We're supposed to live in freedom. But we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up about the way we pray. We don't pray good enough. We think, we think. Or I should have said this, or should have said that. Or we beat ourselves up about... Um, in our parenting, or we beat ourselves up even in the way we grieve. We don't think we're doing that right either. (laughs) We go through really hard stuff, and instead of just acknowledging that it's hard, we beat ourselves up and say, I need to be stronger. I feel weak, and I need to be more put together and have more faith. You know, I'm sure we, we say, I'm sure Jesus loves and saves and forgives people. But Jesus surely doesn't love and save and forgive people like me. You don't know who I am. I'm quirky. And I got lots of issues. And God says, oh yes, I know exactly who you are. Because I made you. And that doesn't matter to me. Because I use weak and broken people. And you might say, how in the world is it possible for God to do that and to say that? Look at verse 12 again. The Lord is with you. And then look at what he says. O mighty man of valor. Okay, so again, going back to the picture. Fetal position. Hiding in a cave. And God says, you mighty man of valor. I mean, can you just imagine Gideon at this point kind of, you know, doing one of these? Like, are you talking to me? (laughs) Is there someone else in this cave that you are talking to in the moment? And you see commentators Um, make a point and say that, you know, this was meant to be humorous and meant to be somewhat of a joke. And while that might be true, I think it's also true that this is a picture of the gospel, isn't it? Is it not a picture of the gospel? For God to look at you because of Jesus and declare you something that you're not this morning. He looks at Gideon full of weakness and fear and declares him to be mighty and strong and full of faith and something that he's not. That is at the very heart of the gospel, friends. Sinners and saints at the very same time. The gospel comes and recreates you. And Jesus declares you to be something that you're not. Is that not the most beautiful news in the world? And I think that's at the heart of our fear and doubt. At the heart of our fear and doubt is our identity struggles. Who are you? And let me just say is if who you are is the summation of your fears and your failures and successes, then you are going to live as a complete basket case. You're going to be full of anxiety and doubt and fear. If you're a Christian, that's not who you are. God has called you. And he tells you what is true of you. And he says that in Jesus, you are beautiful and righteous and good. Let's keep going. Verse 17. Notice how God, how Gideon responds to this incredible news. I'm going to be with you and you're a mighty man of valor. You've got this. 
I'm not so sure. Show me a sign. You see it? Man. Is that not us looking into the mirror? God says he will be with him, but it's not enough. It's not enough for Gideon. You know what? It's not enough for me either. It's often not enough for me either. That promise. Gideon comes here and is essentially saying, God, strengthen my faith. Help me. Help my unbelief. And here's the time in the narrative, if we're reading through it, here's the time in the narrative where we expect God to come in and say, get off the field. Get out. You're weak. You doubt. I'll just go next man up. Is that what happens? No. Because God really is good. God really is patient in the midst of our weakness and frailty and in the midst of our pushback. Look at verses 19 through 24. He prepares a meal. Gideon does. And God eats the meal and he consumes it. And here's what I want you to see here. In this moment, when God, the meal is consumed and the angel of the Lord disappears, what does he realize? You would think he'd be super excited and go, yeah, now I know God is with me. This is amazing, but he's not. If you get the feel of the narrative, the implication, he's terrified. He's terrified because Gideon looks at himself and he looks at the holiness of God. He realizes God is with him and he knows that he deserves to be punished. Look at verse 23. Good news of the gospel. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Do you see how good God is? In the midst of his failures, God looks at him and speaks peace. And how in the world is that possible? Well, because thousands of years later, this same God took on flesh in Jesus and went to a cross and took all of your failures and weakness upon himself so that you could have peace with God. While we were still sinners, the Bible says, Enemies with God, deserving His wrath, not at peace. Jesus came into the world to give us peace with God. God is better than you think. He's more gracious than you think. He's more gentle. And He bears patiently with us in our weakness. Lastly, we've looked at Gideon's fear. In God's response, we've looked at Gideon's weakness. Now let's look at his unbelief. Look at verses 36 through 40. This is the part of the passage, if you're familiar with the passage, that you have probably heard at some point. This is where Gideon throws out the fleece and he asks God to make it dry or wet. I'll be honest with you here, there's been some crazy stuff (laughs) taught about this passage over the years. For example, people will look at this passage and justify some really weird and crazy decision making. Things like, if so and so calls me this week, then that will be the sign that God has given me to take this job or that job or move to this city or that city. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is Gideon's not trying to make a decision. What Gideon is doing here is exploring the character of God. 
He is asking God to reveal himself in a bigger and fuller way. In essence, he is saying here, I, want to, I know that you're trustworthy. I know that you're with me. Um, but, I, uh, but I want to throw this fleece on the ground and I want to see you uh, make it wet or dry and reverse it the next day. And what I want you to see is how patient and gracious God is. He doesn't shame Gideon again. He doesn't push him away. But he meets him in the midst of his doubts and he gives him what he's asking for. He actually reveals more of his character to him. Think about just for a moment how different we are than God. What if someone were to do that with you? Friends, when someone brings the slightest inconvenience into our lives, we're ready to be done with them, not God. Gideon is saying here, I love you, God. I trust you, but help me to love and trust you more. Gideon doubts God, and God answers with revealing more of himself to Gideon. I think that is amazing. And here's what this means, that God meets you this morning with patience and kindness in the midst of your fears. He meets you in the midst of your doubts and struggles to trust Him. But here's the best news, is He does it with something way better than a fleece. He meets you with His Son. He meets you with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to this. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, fleeces and signs... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, we're in the last days. Anytime you see the last days in the Bible, it's now, 2018. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. You see, what this means is that God used to reveal Himself with signs and fleeces and dreams, but now He reveals Himself fully and finally through the person of of Jesus Christ. And so that means if you want to know what God's like and know about His character in the midst of your weaknesses, doubts, and fears, the Bible's answer is look at Jesus. Get to know Jesus better. Two applications and I'll close. One for skeptics, one for the Christian. If you're here this morning and you're not sure what you think about Jesus and Christianity, we're really glad that you're here I think this passage should be a tremendous encouragement to you because this passage shows us that God says, bring on the questions. Bring on the investigation. God welcomes your investigation and he does not shame you. But as you are investigating, if that's where you are this morning, Christianity, I think it's important to remember Hebrews 1. Don't get caught up in God revealing himself through fleeces. You need to be looking and figuring out what you believe about Jesus. Don't get caught up in all the hot button issues in our culture and lose sight of the main thing about Christianity, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and so focus on him. And so my charge to you would be to look at the life of Christ, his character and his claims and the evidence for the resurrection. That's how you will figure out whether or not Christianity is true. I love Tim Keller here. He says when a skeptical friend once asked him, uh, I, would, I would believe this stuff if God would just give me a, wider t- a watertight argument. And Keller's response was, he doesn't give you a watertight argument. He gives you a watertight person. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the end there can be no argument. So figure out and ask God if this is true to show up and reveal Jesus to you. Ask that question. Secondly, for the Christian, maybe you identify with uh, Gideon here. You feel like a failure. You feel like you're struggling. You feel weak of faith. You can't resist temptation. And you're not sure that God can love you. God is better than you think. And remember to look at Jesus too. So the answer is the same for both of you. And when you look at Jesus, here's what you remember. That Christianity is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about your performance. It's about his performance. And remember, I say this often, and it's very, very important. And we can't miss this. This changed my life. Christianity is not about the, uh, the quality of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. Think about that. It's not about the quality of your faith. If Christianity was about the quality of our faith, we need to just pack it up. We don't have a prayer. <laughs> because some moments our faith is really, really weak and the quality is really, really low, almost non-existent. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about Jesus. It's about the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever you find yourself this morning, come to Jesus. He's the one that you're looking for. Let me pray. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you are patient uh, with your people, people that are often full of unbelief and often full of great fear. Lord, we need help, and so we pray that you would come meet us through your Spirit. And uh, help us to really believe. Forgive us for the fleeces we throw out in our unbelief. Lead us to Jesus and help us to believe in him more deeply so that we might be changed. Help us to believe as we come to the table this morning. It's a picture that you really are good and gracious towards us. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.